Welcome to the Shelf Shedding Movie Show. I'm your host, Jason Dubray. Uh, I'm going solo for another episode here because we're reaching the end of 2022. Uh, I do reserve my top 10 list typically for a little bit into the new year uh, to give time for limited release 2022 eligible Oscar films to come to Saskatoon where I live and just to give me a chance to see some of those and make a, a full judgment on uh, the movie year according to the awards calendar. So we'll get that at some point kind of in the new year here. But I decided to take an idea that a lot of other podcasters use, uh, in particular Film Feast. I've talked about a lot on this show, uh, Matt Bledsoe's show. He uh, every year will have a kind of top 10 discoveries episode. And I decided for lack of not not having a top 10 list for uh for the end of the year for this show, uh, that I would talk about 10 discoveries. So these are movies that are not new, but uh, and some of them you'll discover are quite old, and ones that had uh, a great impact on me. I did set up some parameters for this. Uh, certainly there were a lot of uh, possible movies I could talk about for this show, but I decided not to go with a movie that I physically own, which could be reviewed at a later time. I also... Uh, eliminated any of the ones that have been connected to uh, some of these theme shows uh, like Noir November, Funny February, um, Action April, uh, certainly the um, the October movie challenge that I've done the last uh, couple of years. Uh, I decided to take those ones out and strictly look at movies that I have seen that I do not own that went up to, for me, kind of like the higher level of four-star, should be classics or maybe are considered classics. I will say about, about this list here that there aren't a lot of pretty much no recent movies that I'm going to be mentioning, nothing from the 21st century. I believe the newest movie that I'll be talking about is from 1991. Uh, the other thing I would say to those who are listening who are not fans of black-and-white films or not fans of uh, non-English films, uh, you're going to be hearing about a lot of films that are that much older, and most of them are going to be uh, black and white, foreign language films, and it was just kind of different themes and different things I explored uh, this year. And I, I really feel like I, this year, got a bit more out of those older films than I did uh, with the new ones. That said, I, I know that there are several really interesting new films that I will talk about at a later time uh, connected to my top 10 show and likely my my Oscar show with uh, Kurt Fitzpatrick that we'll be doing uh, in the new year. So that's the uh, parameters for my 10 discoveries list. And I'm going to start off uh, with number 10 with a 1991 film called Mississippi Masala directed by Mira Nair. Even though we are 10,000 miles away from India, we should not forget our roots, our culture, our tradition, and our gods. Send her back to the reservation, that's what I'll say. They're not that kind of Indian. You're gonna need that black guy's name for the insurance. You all right? Black, brown, yellow. As long as you are not white, you are colored. That's right. All us people of color must stick together. Right on, brother. Hello? Mina. Hey! What you doing Sunday afternoon? How long have you been in Mississippi? Three years. Before that, I was in Africa. You kidding? I'm a mixed masala. Hot and spicy. <laughs> <laughs> how come they got Indians in Africa? The British brought them there to build a railway. That's how my grandfather came. I was born in Uganda, my country, until I was forcibly expelled. This is my home. Not anybody. Africa is for Africans. What is wrong with you, man? You better leave them foreigners alone, boy. They ain't nothing but trouble. We're just friends. Oh, did I say any different? What do you know about him? This is America, Ma. No one cares. People stick to their own kind. So you think I ain't good enough for your daughter, is that it? The world is not so quick to change.
Well, Miss Masala, racism is passed down like recipes. Now, the trick is you got to know what to eat, what to leave on your plate. And essentially, it's about an Indian family uh, who's living in Uganda, and they get expelled because Idi Admin has uh, has taken power. They escape Uganda, and they move to Mississippi, and then we see the time passage, and then the main part of the story happens in the present time, where the Indian daughter falls in love with a black man, and the respective families, and actually the community at large, have to come to terms with it. This film stars Denzel Washington as Demetrius Williams, and Sarita Chowdhury, who is terrific playing uh, Mina. I think she might actually steal the film away from, from Denzel. Uh, it's tough to totally compete with the movie star abilities and acting abilities of Denzel Washington, but they, they're both uh, excellent together. And Mina's father, uh, Jay, is uh, Roshane Seth, who uh, is an actor that people have seen in some other films as well. And his whole sub plot with uh, escaping Uganda and then having to come to terms with that and at one point late in the film go back going back to Uganda is beautifully handled it's quite a, a serious subplot but this love story it manages to not fall into some cutesy conventions like it's actually you know a little bit of a it, it seems a kind of a grounded way that it, it works and the ups and downs of uh, this particular relationship and it's uh, just a very sad Satisfactory film, I, I would say, you know, for those who are preferring mainstream films, uh, this likely is the film for you uh, from this list here. So I've been wanting to see this movie for years. 1991, as I've said before, is a very important year for me when I start to discover my love of movies. And uh, this is one that just had escaped me all of these years. And I was happy that I was able to uh, catch it. I watched it on the Criterion streaming service. And it is... A terrific film. In my last episode, I, I was talking about Robert Wise, and I was referring um, to the House on Telegraph Hill for my uh, Noir November ep episode. Uh, I am bringing in another one of his uh, films here. I'm obviously have uh, have become an enormous fan of of him. Uh, this is the Andromeda Strain. Now, don't be scared. I'm a doctor. A special laboratory in Nevada. We brought you here. You're sick. In a true biological crisis, which our exploration of space could bring about, the present lunar receiving laboratory might prove inadequate. I therefore urge the establishment of a facility to deal specifically with an extraterrestrial form of life. Seems to me, General, Dr. Stone put one over on you. In fact, he made us all think his wildfire lab could handle any contamination from outer space. Isolate and identify. no accident. I suspect they were looking for the ultimate biological weapon. You can change everything. It's crazy. I didn't know buzzards fly at night. Buzzards only come when something's dead. Bendel Decker to Cable One. What's happening? We see bodies. Lots of them. These people were cut down in mid-stride. Everybody's dead! You! You did it! recommend calling a wildfire alert. All members of your team have been cleared and are now being called in. If things get out of control, even you can't work miracles. Grandpa, there's a car and they got guns. What's going on? This communication is being monitored. Never believe this could really happen. and very famously penned by Michael Crichton, the, uh, the the novelist who was responsible for the creation of the TV show ER and, of course, uh, famously Jurassic Park. So the movie is about a town in New Mexico, Piedmont, New Mexico, 
where nearly everybody in the town one day is found dead after the return of Earth of a space satellite. It was kind of led by a U.S. Air Force project called SCOOP. An emergency is declared, and there's a group of eminent scientists led by Dr. Jeremy Stone who scramble to a secure laboratory and try to first isolate the life form while determining why two people in the town of Piedmont had survived. An older man who is an alcoholic and a six-month-old baby. The scientists methodically study the alien life form, unaware that it has already mutated, presents a far greater danger to the lab, which is equipped with nuclear self-destruct device designed to prevent the escape of dangerous biological agents. So this is its kind of like a B-movie plot that something comes from space and starts to kill off and take over a small town. Uh, Then there's people who have to prevent this from happening. But in the hands of Michael Crichton and also Robert Wise, this becomes a much more legitimate scientific examination and is very methodical, leisurely paced. I would say it's 1970s paced. And for some people like me, you really enjoy that. Other people might not have the patience for it because it isn't like an action every every moment. All of the all of the the moments and they're very worthwhile when they happen are all set up and 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 kind of a slow burn into to each of those moments there. But it's it, it's certainly a film that I um, I really enjoyed. It's it's another one that I feel like I should have seen before. It's very intense and uh, and I appreciate that. And everything's taken very seriously, as I said. And like a lot of Crichton stuff, I mean, the Jurassic Park's a pretty wild idea too. But using in in that film the introduction of DNA and making these fictional ideas seem plausible. That's a that's a real real asset and. The climax is, is of the film is is terrific, and you know you think it's going to be uh, exactly like what you've seen in a million other movies. Even though this predates a lot of those movies, I, I think some details of it are, are handled in a way that isn't isn't clicheish or or overly formulaic. I, I think if you appreciate your science to be strong in your science fiction, then The Andromeda Strain is a movie that you will enjoy. All right, we're now going to move into my number eight choice. It's a film called Vigilante. An asphalt jungle. An urban skyline of fear. Waiting. Watching. Destroying. You're not safe anymore to walk the streets. When every hour, 163 more people become victims of assault. You live at the mercy of the animals who inhabit the streets of every city. People who place little value on their lives, and even less on yours. You live in a country where 12 women are raped every minute, where 65 people are murdered each day. It's happening now. It's happening this minute. The police are powerless. The law is corrupt. And the courts turn them loose. Figure that's the answer. That's my judge and my jury. There is only one alternative. It's time to take a stand. Because time is running out. You're not safe anymore. Their numbers are growing. And you must wage a war to eliminate the problem. Yourself. Vigilante. Directed by William Lustig and stars from 1982. It stars uh, Robert Forster. And Robert Forster is this kind of everyman, New York City factory worker who ends up in a situation where tragically his family gets murdered by uh, a street gang. And then he is a law-abiding citizen and he he follows the justice system and the police procedures and court procedures uh, and really believes in that system and is greatly disappointed. And after that, then he is on uh, a revenge mission to enact proper justice. And it's, uh, it's interesting 
how all of these different beats play out. It's very well acted. Robert Forster, those who who know the the great Tarantino film, Jackie Brown, will be familiar with this gentleman who played Max Cherry. That was kind of like a a last wave of his career, but this was, you know, at his height, but a few years before he actually quit acting for a significant amount of time. But he is, he's a right mix of caring, but he is tough. And when he, when the violence hits, it hits hard in this film. It is uh, just a, it was a very nice surprise for me. I, I was just wanting to take a look at some of his earlier work. I haven't seen a, a ton of his early films. It's kind of 70s, 80s stuff. And so I was happy to um, to check this one out. Yeah, Vigilante is, for those who enjoy that type of film, it is very independent. And certainly you'll see kind of a range of abilities in acting. But it's kind of a hard-edged 1980s New York film which uh typically works well for me and uh i i I just had a a great time with it uh again maybe not completely mainstream but again those who are liking uh, action movies and enjoy these kind of revenge films uh i think you will get a lot out of vigilante uh certainly a a solid r-rated film wouldn't necessarily be for everybody there is a a prison sequence as well which is very well directed and 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 well acted. I wanted to mention Fred Williamson is tremendous in this role too as as Nick who who helps Robert Forster's character Eddie Marino out. Uh, but he has kind of his own thing going on with uh you know the the police are not protecting us and so we have to take things into our own hands yeah so i i really do think that uh for those who like this type of movie vigilante is a terrific entertaining film and i'm very happy that i discovered it this year so for my number seven i i have recently talked about a lot of film noir and one that i watched not not connected to uh noir november but uh, i just happened to to watch is uh, a film called niagara of love just as she lived for love, like a Lorelei flaunting her charms as she lured men on and on to their eternal destruction. And her own husband was no exception. It's getting late. Hand me my slip. I hate to move when we have a fight. Never want to leave your side. (laughs) Get me some orange juice, Georgie. (laughs) It's Marilyn Monroe skyrocketing to new dramatic heights. When a man took her loveliness in his arms, He took his life in his hands. Joseph Cotton, helpless in her siren spell. Jean Peters, caught in the destructive whirlpool of another's deceit. And parading around, showing herself off in that dress. Cut down so low in front you could see her kneecaps. She's a pretty girl. Why hide it? Don't worry about that. She'd like to wear that dress where everybody could see her, right in the middle of the Yankee Stadium. Smell like a dime store. I know what that means. Sure. I'm meeting somebody. Just anybody handy, as long as he's a man. But she could never be his, nor any man's, completely. And that thought whipped him into a frenzy that makes the screen thunder with unparalleled suspense. Directed by Henry Hathaway from 1953. Um, when I recently reviewed Some Like It Hot, I mentioned that I had watched this 
movie, which again helped me understand even more that Marilyn Monroe was so much more than uh, her image and a movie star, that she was a terrific actor. And I would say Niagara is uh, my favorite Marilyn Monroe performance. It's a relatively early performance uh, when she was starting to get more lead roles. It's set where you would expect Niagara Falls, and there's two couples that meet at this uh, this motel. And there's a, a younger couple that are basically there because of Max Schulter playing uh, Ray Cutler. Uh, is supposed to meet the head of his company because he is he has won this uh, uh, sales contest and he's there with uh, with Polly Cutler, his wife, played beautifully by Jean Peters. She actually steals the movie even more so than Monroe, as good as Monroe is. And there's this other uh, couple that seem to be bickering a lot, and there's a mix-up over uh, a hotel room, and we have Marilyn Monroe playing Rose Loomis and Joseph Cotton, the great Joseph Cotton, you know, connected to so many great films, particularly Citizen Kane. And he plays George Loomis. And he's, you know, he, he's not doing that well. And and his younger wife, they really don't seem to be getting along. And he appears to be like somewhat of a jerk. And as the story kind of goes on, Gene Peters starts to get a little bit, connected to this couple, particularly when the situation happens where George has has disappeared. And they're trying to they're trying to help Rose figure out what happened to her husband. And it's it's a bit of a mystery. And then we start to see that, you know, most of the characters are not what they appear to be. And I just it, everything about it works. The setting is a perfect setting for a movie like this. It's early 50s, but, you know, it, it's got a little bit of an edge to it and some pretty pretty strong violence as well. And, uh, you know, it goes into to quite dark places. Very interesting, somewhat Hollywood climax, but it's uh, it makes sense if you're going to be using Niagara Falls as your setting. And I, I, it's not really, to me, a Marilyn Monroe movie that a lot of people talk about. Again, watched it on the Criterion channel, and it was just so good from start to finish. It's it's a it's a terrific film. I I, I really really recommend it. Again, it, you know, for those who are Marilyn Monroe completists, you have to check this one out. If you love film noir, check it out. I I, I think this is another one that mainstream audiences will be entertained by. And it, it, it actually is uh, shot in Technicolor as well. So uh, again, that will be those who are allergic to black and white films won't have that issue as much with uh, Niagara. And I, I, I think, you know, if you can uh, get a hold of it, please uh, watch this film. Uh, I hope you have as good a time with it as I did. So in in late 2021 and early 2022, I decided to give myself a, a little side challenge there. Martin Scorsese had, uh, for Criterion, listed his 10 favorite Criterion films. And I, I, I wanted to go through those 10 films because a lot of them I, I hadn't seen. Kind of like this list, a lot of uh, them were, were non-English language films. And one of the highly rated ones on here was uh, Le Ventura. La Ventura, Michelangelo Antonioni's erotic adventure that travels from the core of human desire to the surface of casual passion, magnificently told against the lavish background of the affluent society of present-day Europe. La Ventura unfolding in vividly etched scenes of unprecedented pictorial splendor and sensuality, the lives of a group of unsettled people in a constant, never-ending search for spiritual and physical fulfillment. Starring Monica Vitti as Claudia, the lonely one, finding momentary satisfaction where it was least expected, experiencing in a few short days a vitalized joy and a shocking realization of the truth. Gabriel Ferzetti as Sandro, the architect. Urban, sophisticated, driven to indulging himself in a perpetual search for satisfaction. Sandro, caught up in a consuming pattern of self-indulgence. 
Leia Masari as Anna, the fiance, whose withdrawn and mysterious behavior touched the lives of all who knew her and all who loved her. Dominique Blanchard as Julia, the frustrated, desperately reaching out, succumbing to the irresistible attraction of youth. La Ventura, winner of five international film awards, hailed by critics for its maturity and creative intuition, is a new experience in motion picture eroticism. Michelangelo Antonioni's La Ventura, a classic of modern filmmaking. Directed by Michelangelo and Antoni, a very well-known and important uh, Italian filmmaker. This movie is from 1960. And, uh, essentially, it's about two young women who are best friends. And they decide to go on a boat trip to this remote volcanic island. And the one uh, girl, Anna, they're, they're joining up essentially with... Uh, her her lover uh, or her boyfriend for this trip and she's brought uh, her friend Claudia along. When Anna goes missing there's a search that's launched and in the meantime Claudia and, and Anna's lover Sandro they become involved with each other in a romantic way despite the fact that Anna has disappeared kind of without a trace and then we follow after that still kind of the mystery of what happened to her which is a very disconcerting type of thing. And the guilt and the tension in this new relationship because they feel like very much, and particularly for Claudia, that she is betraying Anna. And it's just a, it's a beautiful looking film, but it's got a sort of darkness to it. I, I do have a bit of a, I'm attracted to films with these, these mysteries where somebody disappears. I'm a big fan of uh, Peter Weir's The Picnic at Hanging Rock, for example. And Le Ventura has that, that quality to it. Monica Vitti is just, just one of the more famous stars out of Italy from that time. And she plays Claudia. And I, I think both her and Leah Mazzari, who plays Anna, even though she has a very short amount of screen time, their friendship and, and how that, that dynamic works is the best part of the, the film, acting-wise. But VD carries the film really well. It's an interesting dynamic with Gabriel Ferzetti, who uh, plays Sandro. And I just also want to do a shout-out to Renzo Ricci, is uh, the actor who plays Anna's father. And as the search uh, goes on and kind of early on, he can see what's happening with, with this new relationship that's, that's going on. And I think she, he really didn't necessarily approve of this man that uh that that anna was with uh to begin with so yeah i i think it, it kind of goes along and you can't completely predict where the film is going but i i understand why scorsese uh would love this this film it's just beautiful locations and kind of like the the, the best of this mid-20th century European cinema, which ended up having a huge influence on American cinema once we get to the late 60s and into the 70s. Yeah, if, if you are interested in broadening her, your horizons, uh, I, I highly, highly recommend La Ventura. It is, uh, it is considered uh, a kind of an art house cinema classic and for good reason. Over the last several years, I've regained my love of the Western um, in all its different forms, but certainly take a look at American Westerns. I, I really enjoy them. And, and a Gregory Peck starring Western called The Gunfighter. He's a killer. He ought to be run out of town. He's the gunfighter. He hasn't a friend in the world. He's the gunfighter. He only wants to be left alone. Why don't they give him a break? He's the gunfighter. How come I gotta run into a squirt like you nearly every place I go these days? What are you trying to do? Show off in front of your friends? Are you ready to back up that remark or not? Eddie don't mean no real harm, Mr. Ringo. If Eddie don't mean no harm, then let him keep his big ugly nose out of my business before it gets slapped. Life, ain't it? Just trying to stay alive. 
Not really living, not enjoying anything, not getting anywhere. Just trying to keep from getting killed. I had seen the poster for, but I just hadn't seen. This is again thanks to the Criterion Channel, where a lot of a lot of uh, the films I'm I'm talking about are. That's that's how I saw them for this discoveries list. But I really enjoyed the Godfather, 1950, directed by Henry King, and it's essentially about an uh, an older, very famous gunfighter played by Pack who comes back to the town where he used to live as a young man and where he started off kind of going in this direction with his life. And he has to face up to his past. He gets essentially trapped in this hotel uh, with a uh, with a, a saloon connected to it and has to deal with all kinds of people who are uh, wanting to get him. There's uh, a marshal who is actually his, his friend who uh, is trying to figure out like, okay, do I run this guy out of town? Do I arrest him? What do I do? Then there's a parallel of some, for lack of a better term, young guns, a uh, young gun who is trying to make a name for himself. And wow, it would be, he, he would be become a legend if he was to, to get this famous gunfighter. And then the other piece is the fact that Gregory Peck playing Jimmy Ringo that he wants to connect with the love of his life his childhood sweetheart played by uh, Helen Westcott who's very good she plays Peggy Welsh um, and she's the town's school teacher as kind of happens you know it's a little bit of a trope of uh, of, of these American westerns for sure I, I really like their relationship but I also like how the film doesn't make it simple there's there's some added elements in here when Peck finds out that she in fact uh, is a mother and then and and has a child and then kind of the the revelations around that and just kind of coordinating a possible way out of this situation they take their time with it it's very methodical and there's just some some beautiful scenes certainly you know when Gregory Peck towards the end of the film is talking to Peggy's son it's just this, this beautiful beautiful moment so I, again, that maybe a criticism could be that it some some elements are familiar or maybe a little bit formulaic. What I what I like about this is he's he's not going around the town and having to shoot off a bunch of bandits. Like he's he's very much it's a contained performance uh, because he is pretty much stuck in for for most of the film in this one location. Carl Malden, again, shout out to a, a great Canadian actor. He plays the bartender, hotel owner. And I, I really, really liked what uh, Millard Mitchell does as Marshal Mark Strett. He's between a rock and a hard place. You know, the, the, certainly the uh, there's people in the community that would like to see that, that Jimmy Ringo is, is taken down. But this Marshall knows that Jimmy Ringo is actually a good guy, despite the fact that he's this gunfighter and has his reputation as being uh, a vicious character. So it's a it's a more complex Western. And I, I think uh, those who love Westerns are fans of Gregory Peck in this particular era uh, of cinema are, are really going to enjoy The Gunfighter. I, I'm glad I saw it. I, I just really hadn't had a lot of opportunity to get my hands on this or to, to access it. And again, thank you to the Criterion channel that was featuring uh, some Westerns at the time where The Gunfighter was in, in the mix there. I, I really, really like this one. This is going to be up there with some of my, my favorite Westerns from that time. And it's just uh, for me to have it you know, not be kind of a Peckinpah or Eastwood Western, I think is a good thing. It, you know, it was it was good to sort of broaden uh, my horizons. And Peck, who was great in, in every genre he took on, uh, it was kind of nice to see him 
in a western. He did a few westerns for sure, but he uh, he he was never completely typecast into one different. He could do a drama like To Kill a Mockingbird, and he could be in a a horror movie like Cape Fear. And he could do a great job in a Western like The Gunfighter. I, I, I really enjoyed it. And I'd, I'd like to see a few more films by Henry King. I know quite a, a famous director from, from that era as well. So uh, check out The Gunfighter. My number four film, again, going off of that Scorsese list of his 10 favorite Criterion films. And this one was just a just a very engaging film. I, I, it's one I didn't quite know what to expect from it. It's called Yugetsu. ゆうすき宿命に泣く妻。私は夫婦共稼ぎで気楽に働いて。三人楽しく日を過ごすことができるわと。そればかりを願っているのです。独房に走り妻を忘れた男。ああ、醍醐味だ。天国だ。陶
there's a lot of screen time given to uh, their wives and the effect that their foolish actions are taking uh, on, on them. And I think it's a bit of a, uh, an interesting comment on this idea of men when they get to a certain point in their lives and they're dreaming of, oh, in another life I could have had this, I could have had that. And how foolish it is to kind of go after those things. We, I mean, we have one guy who is succumbing to his desire for this mysterious lady, you know. Uh, and then we have another gentleman here who's, oh, I, I could have been a great samurai, yet he really has no business. And people tease him about when he keeps talking about, he, oh, he's going to be a samurai. And I, I just kind of like how it plays out. I mean, there are some very like tragic moments and 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 sad moments in this, but we just see how these guys evolve. And there's a little bit of a thing about like we you don't know how good you have it until you've gone off and pursued these these pipe dreams. It, yeah, I, I just really really enjoyed. This film, it had a bit of a hypnotic quality over me. I started it and I was thought, okay, is this one I'll watch some of and then I'll take some breaks or whatever. But no, I watched it, watched it straight through and uh, it, it stayed with me. Uh, this is pretty early in, in 2022 that I saw this and it stayed with me all year. So Ugetsu is, uh, is one if you are interested in uh, Japanese cinema and uh, especially from this like amazing era in the like early 50s i would recommend that you uh if you can get a hold of this film i, I agree with mr scorsese that that this is uh, a special special film and it's it's one I'm, I'm i'm glad i discovered uh this year and as we move to number three i'm sticking with japan we're looking at the great akira kurosawa's 1962 film senjoro <laughs> ま、to uh, Yojimbo and follows uh, his, his longtime collaborator Toshiro Mafun, who starred in um, so many of Kurosawa's samurai films. And 
here we have this samurai who's a very cynical person. He's kind of gone through, he's seen everything, gone through things. And, you know, he's kind of, I think, regretting his his choices in life. And in the previous film, essentially, he had wandered into a town and kind of played two bosses against each other. And, and this time he, he arrives and, and finds these very young warriors who are struggling to be able to protect their community and there's some there's some sort of corruption within their group. And then they kind of want him to come in and when they realize what a great samurai he is, help them out. And for a variety of reasons, he reluctantly agrees and starts to help them become better warriors and also more intelligent and kind of training and disciplining them so that they don't end up in a situation where they're going to be killed and uh and others are going to take over again this is this is a short 96 minutes one of the shorter uh kurosawa films uh, i think it would be th those two films would be good introductions to those who haven't watched uh many kurosawa or samurai films but it is it, it's just it's always this thing where I, I i don't watch kurosawa films a whole lot it's just when i'm i get myself prepared to watch one but even if i am not prepared and i'm just kind of okay i'm gonna kill some time and i'm gonna start in on one of these immediately i get into the story and there's no way i can possibly stop it i i have to watch the film start to finish kurosawa i mean I, I don't have to sell anybody on the idea that he is a master filmmaker he's one of the most important filmmakers in the history of cinema and his influence has been felt all over the place but particularly looking at you know yojimbo and senjuro i i i really see how again western were influenced and uh, particularly in this case I, I really do feel like Toshiro Mifun's character in this led into what would be the the bulk of Clint Eastwood's career as a Western star. Certainly, uh, Yojimbo is very much connected to uh, the character of the Man with No Name trilogy. In particular, uh, Fistful of Dollars very much follows uh, the same story. And in this one, uh, this this reminded me very much of High Plains Drifter, the great Clint Eastwood uh, Western as well. I, I think if you look at those films and you enjoy those Westerns, it's good to look back at the Japanese films that Kurosawa did, which informed and influenced American cinema, and particularly in, in, in his approach. This isn't one of the ones where he's kind of basing it on Shakespeare, but there is a real interesting evolution when we look at the Kurosawa filmography, where Shakespeare had such an influence on Kurosawa. Kurosawa had such an influence over Sergio Leone and Clint Eastwood, and... Um, so many other filmmakers like George Lucas, Steven Spielberg. I think to a certain extent, there's many influences for Quentin Tarantino. But when you when you take a look at that uh, and you kind of see how one's influences and one's heroes, it kind of blends together into where we get to in cinema now where we're, we're looking at filmmakers who are influenced by Sergio Leone and... And, and and Martin Scorsese and Spielberg and, you know, Tarantino, uh, who's always had a little bit of an influence on since 1994 on, on, on filmmakers and how that continues to evolve. It's kind of a, a, a neat thing here. But Sejuro was uh, was was a Kurosawa film I saw this year that I hadn't seen before. And uh, I had a great time with it. And he, he packs a lot into the 96 minutes, you know, it never makes it easy for um, the main characters. There's just a real joy. Like it's well acted, well shot. And I, I, I'm glad I saw it. I, it was a close call that my, my one to three uh, were, were very close, close calls. And just, there were, there were a couple more movies that, that just rated a little bit higher for me than uh, Sinjuro, but it is a uh, full marks film that it's a classic that people should check out. So for some reason, I, I've just kind of, I don't know why I've avoided kind of these older movies about Abraham Lincoln. And I know there's some really good ones there and many I haven't seen yet, but I, I would always sort of see it. And then I, you know, I, at one point uh, this year, I decided on Criterion again to take a look at young Mr. Lincoln. Get away, Lincoln. We're coming through. <laughs> 
all joking aside. Let's look at this matter from my side. Well, you all know I'm just a fresh lawyer trying to get ahead. But some of you boys act like you want to do me out of my first clients. I'm not saying you fellas are not right. Maybe these boys do deserve to hang. But with me handling their case, don't look like you'll have much to worry about on that score. <laughs> All I'm asking is to have it done with some legal pomp and show. That's right. all right, Absolutely Abe. Right. Up on our side of it. We've gone to a heap of trouble not to have at least one hanging. Sure you have, Mac. And if these boys had more than one life, I'd say go ahead. Maybe a little hanging mightn't do them any harm. But the sort of hanging you boys would give them would be so... so permanent. <laughs> <laughs> Trouble is, when men start taking the law into their own hands, they're just zapped in all the confusion and fun to start hanging somebody who's not a murderer, somebody who is. And the next thing you know, they're hanging one another just for fun. Till it gets a place a man can't pass a tree or look at a rope without feeling uneasy. We seem to lose our heads in times like this. We do things together that we'd be mighty ashamed to do by ourselves. Uh, directed by John Ford, speaking of important and influential filmmakers. Uh, this is early on, this is 1939. And I kept thinking to myself, like Henry Fonda playing Abraham Lincoln, just all of the Fonda films I have seen, how, how could he play Abraham Lincoln? It didn't make sense to me until I saw this movie. And so very, very early on and like right away, I, I almost don't see him, Henry Fonda. I mean, the voice, yeah, even in the voice, he really adapts his voice to, uh, to as we understand it, how Lincoln spoke. So Henry Fonda just is, is so believable as Lincoln. And, and this movie doesn't talk about Lincoln as, as a president. It just focuses on uh, his early years. Dramatized, so some, some things didn't necessarily happen, but it's an account of his early career as a lawyer in Illinois. And it shows, up, shows him early on in his life, he's, he's born into uh, a modest log cabin. Uh, he's encouraged by his first love and Rutledge to uh, pursue the law. Sadly, uh, she dies quite young. And then uh, after that, Lincoln establishes a law practice in Springfield, Illinois, where he meets young Mary Todd, then is the main lawyer and everybody kind of in the town knows him. And we spend most of the film watching his law skills being put to the test when he takes on a very difficult task of defending two brothers who have been a, accused of a murder after I believe it's a 4th of July festival is happening in, in Springfield. And then we watch how he approaches the case and, and how uh, the, the town is really turned on these, these two men and it's unpopular for Lincoln to take on this case, but yet, you know, the, the police are kind of making sure that they have decent representation and, and we watch how that plays out. And so it's, it's a very good kind of uh, murder mystery part, sort of dramatized biopic. They take some facts and then they kind of make it work for the story. And then they give a terrific uh, court sequence towards the end. Again, if you're willing to go back to 1939 to see a film with uh, one of our great actors, Henry Fonda, uh, in I think one of his best performances. But I almost say that every time I see a Henry Fonda film. That's one of his best performances because the guy was that good. I, I, I think people will really enjoy this film if they're willing to take that leap and watch a black and white film that's a little bit older. It is so well made and it shouldn't be a surprise that, you know, John Ford made it. It's not a terribly long film either. And I, I feel like I still, I've had a hesitation, but I need to explore more John Ford films. His his main actor that he worked with was John Wayne. And people either love John Wayne or they think he was always John Wayne. He didn't 
he played an image, he never had much range as an actor, and certainly some of the stuff that's kind of come up about his behavior, certainly in the 1960s and 1970s, kind of sullies his 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 legacy, I guess. Maybe not among his hardcore fans, but but he's not in this film. This is Henry Fonda's film, and, and this is a probably good good way to start in looking at the uh, filmography uh, of John Ford and just seeing a, why Henry Fonda early on, people knew that this guy was going to be a major, major star, and he was for decades and decades and decades, and finally winning his Academy Award in the uh, early 80s for On Golden Pond. And uh, I'm, I'm really happy that I watched Young Mr. Lincoln, and maybe, again, I need to be a little bit more open-minded about uh, A, John Ford films, and B, some of these earlier Abraham Lincoln films because I, I may be missing out on some some pretty good stuff. And this film is number two on this discoveries list. So it, it really had an impact on me uh, mixed in with these other great filmmakers and kind of these experimental films from or non-formulaic films coming out of Europe and Asia that I was able to watch this year and, uh, and and finally get to a point of appreciation for. Again, another one I think, if people give it a chance, Young Mr. Lincoln is uh, one that uh, people will enjoy. And my number one discovery of the year, and I, I guess this is maybe says something about me, it, it, this might be a hard sell for a lot of people. Lindsay Wilkins, who uh, guested on the show and talked about Jack Lemon and was kind enough to have me on her podcast, Schlock and Awe. And on the Schlock and Awe episode, she had mentioned... This uh, film called Andre Rublev. Directed by Andrea Tarkovsky, who's a, a very famous Russian filmmaker. And, and I think she, she even kind of joked about the fact that this is like a, in 2022, trying to sell people on a three and a half hour long uh, Russian language film is, is tough. But uh, I, again, I've, and maybe I was being a bit more, you know, try again, uh, with a lot of the movies I'm talking about, I was trying to broaden my horizons or catch up on movies that I should have seen uh, before. And and so when she said that, I thought, okay, this is this is a this will might be a challenge, but this is a challenge I want to take on. It was less of a challenge for me. I mean, I, I've said before I like long movies. She was absolutely right. It's just a a hypnotic film that I mean it certainly does take its time but we're, we're watching a life happen before us and in the, the most beautiful way and it's well directed and I'm sure that it was you know there wasn't a lot of money put into this uh this film but it it is for those who love cinema this is again Andre Rublev is from 1966 so Tarkovsky is an established filmmaker very much at this time and I think we're Solaris is is yet to come at this point, and 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 so this is. I mean, I, I feel like the, the the great Russian filmmaker. So, to say the least, an expansive Russian drama. It focuses on the life of a revered religious icon painter, Andrei Rublev, who drifts from place to place in a very uh, 
violent and uh, tumultuous era uh, in Russia. And he's peace-seeking, he's a monk, and people start to, you know, hear about how great his art is. Rublev witnesses in kind of the middle part of the film this, this brutal, violent battle, and he unintentionally becomes in involved in this violence. And that's when the film like kind of goes into another gear because he's so horrified at what he has witnessed and what he has done that at this point he decides to take a vow of silence and he spends time away from his art. And this is beautifully, like the, all of this is beautifully acted by Anatoly Solitsnin. So obviously my pronunciation is terrible for the gentleman who plays Andrei Rublev. But it, this face, I mean, a very cinematic face, of, a face of deep hurt and tragedy and uh, like a tortured soul. And he, he plays all of those moments so well. But his performance is, is unbelievable when he takes this vow of silence. And there's all of these situations where, you know, he's being prompted to speak and he needs to speak, but he can't. And, and that adds to the tragedy of it. And But he's doing this so he can ease his troubled soul and kind of pay for the sins he has been involved with. And we watch this journey where he tries to get back to this point where he can paint once again. It's a special movie. It is a special movie. So, I mean, I, I just don't think modern audiences, unfortunately, will give it a chance. But those who love cinema have to check out this film. I mean, it it is... I have an easier time selling probably the other nine movies on this list, but those who who put the time in and, 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 and give this film a chance, you are going to be well rewarded. Andre Rublev, again, it's it's prompted me to I had watched Solaris before and just to to get into this uh, this great filmmaker's work in more detail as I move into 2023. And so if I continue doing kind of a discoveries episode every year, you might hear back from me about this gentleman, but it is an epic film. I've watched a lot of epic films over the years. Uh, and again, this this one was one where it's like, okay, the timing and everything, can I do this? And I got into it right away. There was just something about it. I mean, it's, it's not, plot heavy i mean we're very much watching this guy's life unfold and see in the previous film i talked about a, a section of the life of of abraham lincoln and and taking a look at you know uh the kind of the evolution of what would be a, a very famous and a great man uh and we're we're watching this great man who is not aware that he's great and is just so devout to uh, his belief system at all costs and I, I i love films like this and it reminds me a little bit of an underrated martin scorsese movie called the silence which is a film that examines faith and faith commitment to to, to faith at at personal risk and, and and cost to one's life this this film has that kind of that film has that same kind of feel here and i and i know for a fact that the great Martin Scorsese has uh, examined, um, as he's examined almost everybody's uh, work, but particularly uh, throughout the 20th century. So this is, I'm sure it was a tough film to make, but I I, I really, really uh, enjoyed it and enjoyed the places that it went. And, you know, this list of 10, some movies I didn't have to think as hard about, I guess, or work as hard as, in, as a, an audience member, but... They all had a little bit of something that's different than the mainstream, and that's that's what I I really went for. Even if it was a, a traditional American western or or a, a love story starring a very famous uh, movie star, they still had some some special colorful quality that that has stayed with me here. So I, I hope you've enjoyed this. A uh, shorter episode of the Shelf Shedding Movie Show where I'm just putting some films out there and uh, recommending them and giving them a, uh, some some airspace and hopefully some people will will find uh, just a, a, a really good experience, you know, uh, seeing, seeing one of these films and like put on a list something that you haven't watched before. And then if you can come across it in some way or another, then 
take the leap and, uh, and, and, and go with it. And I, as I get older, I, I want to be taking more risks with the movies that I, I watch. And I appreciate all of, all of kind of the fun and somewhat formulaic films uh, that, you know, you, you can come across and they're just kind of entertaining and I, they, they have a time and place, but I also like the ones that challenge me and enrich my life and not only get my heart working, but get my brain working. And uh, that's, that's what I found with my 10 discoveries list of 2022. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. As I said, please, again, I did a little bit of influence on from some of the, the uh, podcasters that are friends of the show in here. So I, I would say check out Lindsay's, show schlock and awe check out matt's show film feast it's always rank and review larry parsons show and uh kurt fitzpatrick show a lifetime of hallmark be kind be safe and uh i hope everybody has a a, a great end of 2022 and a, a, a positive start to 2023 as always not a surprise i'm going to continue supporting the movies uh, in 2023. And I, I certainly hope that you do as well. And uh, please join us. Uh, our next episode is going to be uh, another master acting class episode on uh, the very unique and hardworking Nicolas Cage. And so look forward to uh, sharing that episode with you very soon. Uh, until then, thank you for listening to the Shelf Shedding Movie Show. And I am Jason Dubray.